Welcome to Catholics Across the Isle, the podcast of the Florida Conference of Catholic Bishops, offering commentary on public policy and civic life. This is Michael Sheedy, Executive Director of the Conference. pleased to have with me today Ashley Feasley, who is the Director of Public Policy at the U.S. Bishops Conference Office of Migration and Refugee Services. Ashley, we've been colleagues for a while, I would say probably at least seven years or so. I know you've worked at the U.S. CCB for a, a good number of those years. And it's always been nice to know that you have some good Florida connections, that your parents live here, that you grew up here, went to school here, um, and now you're up in D.C., now, I, I will say this, too. One of the things I've n- I don't know about you is just how you came to be interested in immigration, migration, refugees, because you're quite a specialist. You're the consummate professional in this area. You're the church's, one of the church's go-to experts in this. So how did you ever get interested in this? Well, thanks for having me. Um, and I am a, a Florida girl. I'm a, also a, a Gator, so very proud. Um, I, I grew up in Sarasota, and I was part of the, the Diocese of Venice. I went to Catholic grade school, and that actually is um, the experience that probably most formed me and kind of made me interested in the work that I, I'm blessed to be doing. Um, I went to St. Martha's School, which was a Catholic school in, in Sarasota, again, in the Venice Diocese, and I was in the fifth grade. And in the middle of the year, a student came to our class from Lithuania, and he and his family had escaped basically of the kind of fall of communism. Um, and his mother had been, uh, had faced severe political persecution. Um, Mark, uh, that was his English name, uh, and his family was Catholic. They had an extended relative who lived in the Sarasota area. And um, between that family connection and his faith, he was enrolled in school and became basically um, our classmate. Um, It was a a huge lesson and learning curve for me to understand and meet somebody first person who whose family had to flee in the middle of the night. And I think the response of our our teacher and our school uh, to welcoming Mark uh, really had an impact on me personally as to uh, what what it means to be a Catholic. Um, Fast forward, my friend Mark uh, is a successful uh, computer programmer and a citizen in the United States, and I think really an example of the contributions that not only immigrants and refugees have, but what the church can be in terms of a welcoming uh, and integrating force for the common good for all. That's great. And, and Ashley, you work at the USCCB's Office of Migration and Refugee Services. It's something of a unique office there in that you all are connected with a large network of the church that, that does assist in this important ministry. There are probably listeners who don't know a lot about it. Maybe you could tell us a bit more about the office. Sure. So the USCCB is basically the Catholic bishops' federal kind of public policy and um, kind of institutional arm. Um, it's where a lot of decisions about, you know, uh, 
masses and liturgy, but also the public positions on issues like pro-life and immigration um, and, you know, uh, care for our community are made at the federal level. So we're, we're located in Washington. And the Migration and Refugee Services Office, many people don't know this, but it is the largest office within the USCCB, and it's the only direct service component um, through this office and the work of the Catholic Charities Network nationally. Uh, we resettle refugees, we provide family reunification for unaccompanied children, um, we provide services for foreign national and U.S. citizen trafficking victims, and we also help asylum-seeking families. And we do all of this work in, in partnership with the federal government. Nice to help, nice to be collaborators with the government. Um, there's a role for uh, the voluntary sector for sure, and it's great that the church is so committed to doing that for people who are in need. I th when I think of um, the work of the church in this area, I also think of the Catholic Legal Immigration Network Incorporated Clinic, and if I recall, you've worked for them as well along the way. Do you want to say just a little bit more about clinic? Sure. So um, in addition to the Migration and Refugee Services, there are a number of Catholic organizations at the national level who are doing tremendous work to help um, assist immigrants and refugees um, in a variety of different immigration issues and other things. And CLINIC, uh, the Catholic Legal Immigration Network, provides legal information for all of the Catholic Charities immigration service providing entities in the country. Um, many people don't know that Catholic Charities Legal Services is the largest legal service provider in the country for immigrants and refugees. But another thing that clinic does that is so important to the mission of the Catholic Church is that it helps many of the dioceses who have religious workers and religious um, ministers who come from overseas to do work um, and aid the mission and further the church. It helps work on their immigration status as well. And so uh, clinic provides a lot of great information uh, to the Catholic charities and their work uh, doing immigration services and also helps make sure that we have religious workers and, and ministers here to further our, our faith and our formation. Neat stuff. It's, it's neat to have a sense really for, for who the folks are who are doing this important work and what that particular work really is. I don't know that everybody really understands the depth of commitment that the church has shown. I know uh, being something of a policy wonkish sort of person who's Catholic, I like to refer back to some of our good sources every now and then myself. I know that uh, looking to the scriptures, we get some good inspiration. I will tell you just uh, on this topic, I, I really appreciate the book of Leviticus. And I just want to share a little point from there. You shall treat the alien who resides with you no differently than the natives born among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. For you too were once aliens in the land of Egypt. I, the Lord, am your God. It's a nice invitation to really command, really, to, to be welcoming. And it's neat to know more about the folks in the church who are helping that happen from an institutional perspective, um, but also how even the minds and the hearts of fifth graders can be moved to, to be welcoming that way. I also uh, occasionally like to reflect back on the catechism. You know, if we're Catholic, we got the scriptures, we have catechism. We can get into some things said by the popes and bishops too, but I know that uh, the call to 
well, that comes from the catechism is this. Uh, the more prosperous nations are obliged to the extent they are able to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and means of livelihood which he cannot find in his country of origin. Public authorities should see to it that the natural right is respected that places a guest under the protection of those who receive him. Political authorities, for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible, may make the exercise of the right to immigrate subject to various juridical conditions, especially with regard to the immigrants' duties toward their country of adoption. Immigrants are obliged to respect with gratitude the material and spiritual heritage of the country that receives them, to obey its laws, and to assist in carrying civic burdens. On occasion, I know the bishops are criticized for being for open borders, which is not true. There are a lot of myths out there in that respect. It's neat to be reminded of, uh, of the call to, to welcome the neighbor uh, in a formal way. I know that Pope Francis um, has had a, an enduring commitment to migrants and refugees, and really in his pontificate, we've seen unprecedented you know, challenges uh, for people, and migration is becoming an issue across the world, particularly in Europe in recent years. But uh, he's called for a special day, right, to, uh, to recognize the plight of migrants. Yeah, so first off, I think it's, it's really beautiful to hear you, you know, quote from the Bible and also from our catechism. Um, and I would urge people who are interested to learn more um, on our website www.justiceforimmigrants.org. We have a one-pager about Catholic social teaching and migration. Um, five principles that... Uh, not not quite as eloquently as the catechism that you quoted, but they do kind of go through uh, uh, many of the points that you just mentioned. Um, you know, the right for individuals to migrate, the right not to migrate, and the right of nations to control their borders, as well as respecting the due process of, of the vulnerable who are seeking protection. Um, and so I think they're all really important points. Um, the Pope, as you mentioned, has been a steadfast um, advocate and protector for immigrants and refugees. Um, he has uh, moved the World Day for Migrants and Refugees to the last Sunday in September and has really given, I think, a new focus and highlight on this issue. Um, his first trip upon uh, becoming the Pope and taking on the papacy was to Lampedusa, which is a very uh, traveled uh, migration point for uh, refugees and asylum seekers who are coming from Northern Africa through the Mediterranean. And so I think it was very symbolic. Um, you know, the commitment I think of the Pope on this has been really prolific. He has several documents on this, one that uh, calls for all Catholics to welcome, protect, accompany, and integrate uh, immigrants, newcomers, and refugees. And I think that commitment is so important in this time. Um, and I also think it's important uh, for us as Americans. Um, we do have a history of, of being an immigrant, uh, you know, uh, people. Um, and certainly the, the U.S. church in the United States has a history of being an immigrant church. So it's great to see, I think, some of the historical, but also, as you point out, the very important catechism on, on our teaching. Well, you know, as, we, as you mentioned Lampedusa, and we talk about just the challenges to people that, that arise throughout the world right now. Um, I know that in the United States, there in Washington, there's been a lot of public debate, and there's really been a lot of consideration 
within our courts at the highest level. The U.S. Supreme Court has been issuing some rulings that are rather significant, very timely right now. I think the one that comes to mind first for me, Ashley, is the DACA ruling. Would you like to say a little bit about the program and the ruling and where things might go from there? Sure. So the, the DACA program, um, which is short for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, is a program that was started in 2012 by then-President Obama. It is not a program that gives citizenship. It is instead the ability for certain young people who were brought here uh, to the United States by their parents uh, to come forward, pay a fee, submit to a background check, and then be able to be uh, working or going to school legally and also not face the fear of deportation because they're here um, in an undocumented status. Um, the program at the height of the program had about 800,000 young people who were in it. We have about 690,000 now. Um, the legality of the program uh, was challenged and attempted to uh, be rescinded by the president, uh, President Trump, in September of 2017. He uh, attempted to end the program and also give a six month wind down period for the young people who had DACA. The case on whether it was legal, the way the president attempted to end the program, went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, the oral argument was last November and the bishops submitted an amicus brief in support of the young people uh, who are, are you know, DACA holders. And on the 18th of June, um, in a 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court held that the way that the Trump administration attempted to end the DACA program was not legal, um, that they did not follow the, the policies and procedures. I think it's important to point out, just as it's important to understand that DACA does not give anybody a a citizenship or the right to stay here permanently, that the, the Supreme Court did not talk about the legality of the DACA program or whether it was a good policy. They just talked about the way that President Trump and his administration attempted to end the program in September 2017. And as a result, we have seen and many have noted in the media the president and various administrators within his, his uh, team have talked about uh, whether they intend to attempt to end the program again or whether they are going to try and keep the program. We are still waiting uh, to see what the president does. But I think it's really important to understand that um, there is a lot of anxiety for the the young people, DACA recipients and dreamers generally who are waiting, whose future very much is in the balance, and of course their families. So the Catholic Church and the bishops, I know Archbishop Wenske has been a, a very outspoken supporter, uh, very much are concerned for the well-being of these young people and their ability to stay here um, and fully integrate into American life. As you mentioned a bit about the dreamers, too, there may be listeners who aren't familiar with the term or would like to be better informed. Sure. So um, DACA is the program and that there's DACA recipients, like I said, about 690,000. They have an actual, uh, you know, interest in terms of they can work legally and go to school and they're not going to face deportation as long as they have DACA. 
The Dreamers is a larger group of young people who were brought to the United States, some older than those who have DACA, some younger, um, who are considered part of this effort and would have been and are covered under the original piece of legislation uh, that was introduced to fix this issue in 2000 called the DREAM Act. Every congressional session since 2000, the DREAM Act has been introduced and it's never passed. And so these young people identify themselves as dreamers um, in honor, I think, not only of the act that they're still working to pass, but for the larger concept of, of you know, the, that they do want to stay and be able to reach their potential, which is part of their dream. It seems as if this program were to go away, there would be a lot of really practical problems. Uh, you consider the fact that some of these folks uh, who were raised here, who only have memories living here, were educated here, really have no connections back to the countries in which they were born. Some of them have become parents of children who are citizens here, who are cared for by these folks. I think um, in a lot of ways, it's helpful to remember just the people behind these policies and the actual situations that they're living within and how difficult it would be if they were to lose their status, if they were to be sent back to a place to which they really have no, no connection anymore. I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, I think remembering the individuals themselves and um, their families and, and what they could face if they're not allowed to stay um, and continue to contribute is so important. But I, I also think it's important for listeners to understand that uh, this particular population is, is one of the most successful and contributing to our country um, in terms of employment, uh, tax revenue, and then in the context of, of what we're facing with the global pandemic of the coronavirus and COVID-19, they're also on the front lines of helping um, to be part of that solution. The Center for Migration Studies, a, a very reputable Catholic think tank, estimates that over 40,000 of existing DACA recipients work in healthcare. Um, whether it be as doctors, as, as residents, nurses, um, emergency technicians, and they are indeed involved on, on the very front lines of, of helping save lives. So it is important, I think, that we look at these individuals, um, you know, at, through the lens of what they can do, what they contribute, and, and who they are in their families, and, and what that means if we were to end uh, the program. Well, it's neat that you mention the pandemic and, and the role that these recipients have in responding to it. I think we're all aware that this COVID-19 pandemic is with us. It's going to be with us for a while. I think it's probably fair to say that there are special effects on immigrant populations that are worth also discussing. Yeah, so, you know, I think it's so vital that... Um, we're talking right now in this moment about the COVID-19 impacts on the country and what our lawmakers are doing uh, to ensure that we can, uh, frankly, try and, and protect human life and, and recover our economy as we face this. Um, as I'm sure uh, you and the listeners are aware, there's been several different packages of relief, aid, and assistance that the federal government have, uh, have worked through and the president 
everyone has signed. Um, and now after months of kind of ongoing negotiations, it looks like Congress is poised to finally work to get what could be a fourth and final package. Um, the House of Representatives passed a bill called the HEROES Act uh, in May, and now we are looking to see and believe it's reported that the Senate will be moving forward with its version of its fourth COVID-19 relief package. These packages are huge. They contain a number of provisions and assistance and, and rules on many things, uh, many things important to the church, like Catholic education, um, overseas health prevention. Um, and they also, you know, in theory, should be addressing immigrants and refugees since so many live here. Thus far in the packages, we have not really seen the type of protections that we would like. But we are hopeful uh, that there will be some inclusion of protections for refugees, refugees and immigrants. And in a special Florida twist, there is uh, one of the Florida senators who is leading one of the best and most successful efforts thus far to ensure that immigrants and refugees are included. Senator Marco Rubio in, in late June, early July introduced a bill called the American Coronavirus Citizen Relief Act. Um, this bill would ensure that couples, married couples, where there was one US citizen uh, uh, spouse and another who's not, um, that they would be eligible for the stimulus payment. As of right now, they're not. And also that these individuals, if they had US citizen children, that they would be eligible for the payments as well. Um, these families had been left out of the relief. And honestly, it, it does seem a little like a marriage tax uh, that you would not be able to receive relief based on who you were married to, even if you were a US citizen contributing uh, to taxes and, and responsibilities. Um, we're very hopeful to see this included in the next package. The impact of, of making sure that these families can you know, be eligible is really gonna be quite large um, in Florida and in other places and help families be able to, frankly, stabilize after all that we have seen with the hard hitting impacts of the coronavirus. I know that uh, there's been a lot of discussion too about the pandemic's effect on students, particularly foreign students uh, who may or may not be able to uh, come to or remain in the U.S. Could you say a little bit about that as well, Ashley? Sure. So um, the the president's Department of Homeland Security uh, introduced a rule basically saying that all international students um, who were enrolled in, in colleges, universities, higher education um, entities in the US um, who were not actually in person taking classes but were doing Zoom or were doing kind of the online classes, um, would lose their visa status if they weren't able to show that they were doing schooling in person. Um, I will say there has been a record number of immigration, migration related uh, rules, laws, executive orders by this administration. And this is a, is a rare situation where the administration had to basically reverse course within, within about 48 hours. Um, Numerous universities went on record being against the policy and began pretty high stakes litigation on the issue. Um, the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities, who represents 
our Catholic schooling, um, joined many public universities and private universities that are secular and also other faith universities in, in condemning the policy and noting that uh, the approximate loss of revenue uh, to the university, American university system, could be upwards of $20 billion um, from this, this situation. So um, thankfully, uh, the administration did reverse course on this and students are going to be allowed to continue uh, to be enrolled and, and also have their immigration uh, kind of uh, visas continued. I think that we will see universities do other policies on this though for clarification. Um, as I know, and you're well aware, all of education, higher education, and not is really trying to figure out how to move forward in light of the pandemic. Well, uh, you know, Ashley, you've been at this work a long time, and it's, you know, and if you had to step back and stop thinking about the really urgent things that you're dealing with, um, our bishops have long been advocates of more comprehensive immigration reform. You know, something that is encouraging to, to those of us who work in state Catholic conferences to know that's the vision that we have and that there's a long way to go. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, when we can get to that or, or, or how that might come about or even what some of the key key points should be as we, as we go that way? Sure. So, um, you know, I, I think you're precisely right. I think the bishops have long been, um, you know, leading voices and thought leaders in the idea that we have an immigration system, uh, to quote Archbishop Winsky, that is not broken, but is breaking immigrants. Um, and they have called for legislative comprehensive reforms for years. Um, you know, there have been certain periods in time where we were close to getting it. Most recently, I would say it's, it's under uh, the George W. administration in 2006 and seven, and then under the Obama administration in 2013 and 2014. Alas, we didn't get them. Um, but I will say that there's certainly going to be another time uh, and opportunity to come around to, to this in the future. Um, and a, a key piece of whatever reform comes and something that the bishops have always been so clear about is the idea of a coherent, fair, transparent uh, mass legalization uh, leading to citizenship and full integration um, and also just the ability for individuals to come forward, uh, you know, out of the shadows, so to speak, and be recognized for their contributions, but also, um, you know, very much, I think, fully integrate into American uh, life and kind of, uh, in a way, that uh, you know, I think we all envision. So that is, I, I think, a key piece of any sort of reforms that we move forward with. I know myself and others, particularly the help of the state Catholic conference directors like, like you, you know, will remain engaged and and push forward for this, um, and look for those rare opportunities to <laughs> move forward with a comprehensive vision for immigration reform. Well, Ashley, it's been great to catch up. It's been great to hear your perspective on, on these current events and also looking longer term and always just good to talk with you today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.